Welcome to Beyond the Crucible. I'm Warwick Fairfax, the founder of Crucible Leadership. Help comes in the most unexpected places when you least expect it. At that moment when you feel that you really can't go on, there is always going to be that one person that you wouldn't expect to do it will reach out and help you. And I find that you can't really fail if you don't keep trying. Because once you give up, you failed. You're done. That's over. But if you're as long as you're like, I can still make it. You can still get that little bit in there. You can still push through just enough. It's hard. It hurts. But once you get past that moment, you can sit back and go, I made it. I overcome that. I'm no longer feeling that pain anymore. I'm finally where I need to be. You get yourself out of it. We've got to pull ourselves out of the mud sometimes. Indeed, we do. And the woman who just spoke those words has had to pull herself up out of the mud more than a few times as she's pursued her dreams, which began, which were birthed in her at age three. And she tells us about each struggle and most importantly, about each triumph along that journey on today's episode. Hi, I'm Gary Schneeberger, the co-host of the show and the communications director for Crucible Leadership. And today's guest is Whitney Singletary White, who is the founder and owner of a fabulous gourmet cookie company in California called Nuttin' Butter Cookies. And you'll find out why they're called that as the episode progresses. And as you'll discover as the episode progresses, nobody can explain Whitney's passion Whitney's experiences and Whitney's triumphs better than she can with more insight and heart. So I'm going to stop trying and I'm simply going to read by way of introduction, the introduction that she provided to Warwick and I uh, for today's episode. And that is this. My name is Whitney Singletary White, a California native, a newlywed with two sons, a baker with over 20 years experience, founder and owner of a specialty gourmet nut-based cookie shop located in Berkeley, California, established in March 2015. Well, Whitney, it is so wonderful to have you. I just loved reading a bit about you. You've had a couple of articles and some different things in the San Francisco Bay Area, so it's super exciting. I have to confess, I have three kids in their 20s, and they all know I definitely am a big cookie fan, so just reading about all these different varieties of cookies and every nut I think I've ever heard of, uh, pretty impressive, <laughs> so it's just so awesome. But before we get a bit into your story and some of the challenges, I'd love to hear a bit about Whitney and just you know who you are, how you grew up, family, just a little bit about sort of the backstory of Whitney Singletary. Well, I grew up in Bakersfield, California. And if you know anything about California, Bakersfield is one of those places you want to pass right through, <laughs> not live in. It's for the fact that it was always so hot. It's just, we have all the seasons, but summer is just never ending for some reason. And it's just the hottest. But I loved growing up there as a child. It was, just, it was peaceful. You can leave your doors unlocked. You can walk outside at night barefoot. You wouldn't do it during the day. You'll burn your feet. But it's just one of those things that 
that's how I grew up. I grew up with my, my mom. She was a single mom, had me and my little sister. And my grandpa was always like hands on. And my grandma, she was kind of there, but she was one of those, like, don't cross her because she'll throw a knife at somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I had a nice childhood. It wasn't a lot of chaos and drama and extra going on. It was just, I grew up with a family that was uh, bakers and chefs and cooks and like my grandpa he was in world war ii and he used to be a cook and he ended up getting out of the military with a purple heart and he went into business for himself being a chef and my love for being in the kitchen was like one of those things like oh, i want to try this i want to taste this so it was always always in the mix of everybody making anything i want to know what it is and i want to taste it first <laughs> can wow. i help so you really grew up in a, a family of chefs and bakers. And a, so I guess baking is, I know it goes back many generations, but it's literally in your uh, blood. So talk about maybe some of the memories you have of, I don't know, baking with your mom or grandparents or was, was baking just part of what you did as a family and and stuff? It was. It's during holiday times we used to do that. My grandpa, he's Southern, so he was always to have a bowl of nuts in the shell and they sold nuts out of the shell, but he liked the old school ones. You have to work for it. He says, it's not good unless you work for it. And I'm like, why can't we just buy them in the can? <laughs> but I remember sitting around cracking nuts with him. And he will take his hands and just cracking walnuts. I'm like, gosh, Grandpa, use a nutcracker. <laughs> that is, but, yeah, who needs a nutcrack when you got Grandpa, right? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, so I remember growing up eating his mixed nuts and we would eat cookies. And those, like, my two favorite things I love cookies i know a lot of people when they hear baked goods are like oh cakes and pies i'm like yeah i can make those but cookies are my favorite <laughs> and nuts are my favorite so naturally it's like i grew up and put them both together <laughs> it was just a, a no-brainer but i remember this one time when i was i don't remember it but i remember my mom constantly reminding me of this story when i was three years old i had wanted to play in the kitchen and she was like, no, get out of my kitchen. We're not having that. You're not supposed to make a mess of my kitchen. But she didn't say I couldn't bake. So <laughs> I took all the ingredients out of the kitchen, took them outside to the front yard, and I'm mixing the flour and the eggs and the butter with mud. And I'm Wait, all right, hang on a second so that <laughs> listeners heard that. You're mixing all the ingredients for cookies with what? Mud. They're, okay, I just wanted to make sure they heard that. <laughs> yes. Mud from the front yard, right by my grandpa's rose bushes. And I remember getting this mud and mixing it all together, had a nice little bowl, and I took the cookies, put them on a cookie sheet, and laid them out in this Bakersfield sun. And within minutes, the heat had cooked them. <laughs> they were cooked. And my grandpa, he saw me making them. He goes, what are you making? I said, I'm making cookies. And he goes, oh. And I said, would you like one? And he says, oh, sure, I'll try one. And my grandpa, being who he was, took a real bite out of the cookie and he's chewing this cookie and he says to me, ah, this wouldn't be so bad if it didn't have the dirt in it. <laughs> and so my mom's standing to the side and she's like, you know, she put dirt in these cookies. He's like, yeah, it's just dirt. It's not going to hurt you. <laughs> and I'm like, but that's the grandpa I grew up with. So it's just, he was always, oh, you want to draw on the walls? That's okay. Here's some paint. Fix that wall later. <laughs> he was that grandpa. <laughs> Sounds like an amazing guy, an amazing grandpa. Did your he friends was. say, gee, you know, how come every grandpa can't be like yours kind of deal? 
Yes, everybody was like, Uncle Lee this. He was always, his nickname was Uncle Lee because he had 18 brothers and sisters. So he was an uncle to a lot of people. Mm, okay. Wow. <laughs> but some of them who weren't actually his relatives would still call him Uncle Lee out of respect. And he was always, oh, if I can help you with this, I can help you. And don't worry about it. I got you. And he was always that person. And when we, I remember when I was little going to his uh, barbecue restaurant that he had after school and I would be there helping her out, sweeping and helping around. And we used to joke about, you used to, cause I used to like to make the baked goods and he, he never had dessert. He just had <laughs> the meats and, and sides, but we never had dessert. I never understood why we never had dessert. <laughs> why is there no peace cobbler in here when everybody can make it in the family? I don't get it. <laughs> and he said, well, one day when you get bigger, you can make all the desserts for us. And that was one of the things we had always talked about, but he ended up dying before mm. that ever happened. And so it was always something I always wanted to do to be in that business with him. And years went by, we always have that moment of, I'm gonna wait till the right time. And I'm gonna, when that time comes, then I'm gonna do this. And I just waited and waited and waited until the right time would come. And the right time was never happening. It was always some type of something that will intervene they would say okay no not right now no not right now until i got to a point when i started the company where i just said you know what today is the day i literally woke up and said i no longer want to clean houses anymore because i used to have a house cleaning company and i said i no longer want to do that that just pays the bills it's not fun i don't like doing it mm. but it pays the bills and i said i want to do what i said i wanted to do almost 20 years ago and i woke up and said cookies and I went on the computer and I said, not just any cookies, what are people not making is what I wanted to make. Because you can go anywhere to get a baked good, but what would make people come to me and just me only? And I said, let's see what they're not doing. And I went on the computer and I found everything that you can possibly think of. And I said, everybody makes snickerdoodles and chocolate chip and oatmeal raisin. And I said, I don't want that. I said, I know it was risky starting a company that didn't make any traditional cookies <laughs> <laughs> and i said the people out there who think like i do who say i want to try something different i want to go to a spot where i can have something new for those people who can't bake they want to be able to experience something besides a regular chocolate chip cookie it's like they come here and when i first started I only had six nuts <laughs> and from there all the way to 12 nuts now and it's like I just found two more nuts to oh. add to the line. Oh, really? I was like, I thought I had all the nuts. I found two more. So are you able to like, tell us sort of a, like a yes, a, a the peli nut. It's a peli nut, a P I L I nut. Huh. Okay. I've never heard of it, but the company that sends me stuff where I get my nut supplies from, they say, "Hey, we have these new nuts. Would you be interested in trying?" And huh. I said, "More nuts? Sure. <laughs> my product said, line expands." <laughs> I said, sure. I tried that nut, and the peli nut has this texture like a pine nut, but a flavor like a macadamia. Hmm, wow. And so I said, and I mixed that one with butterscotch. And so it just has this, what, moment to it, where their mind just goes like this. But people are looking for adventurous foods that are outside of the box. I'm the spot. I'm like the bizarre food world of cookies. <laughs> that is amazing. And, and then the second one is a Baru nut, a B-A-R-U nut. And that one, I was like, it looks so alien. And so all <laughs> nuts kind of look weird already, but this one just has this, what is it look? And when you're eating it, it's like, 
for me, I'm like, I'm eating this nut and it has this texture like a almond, uh-huh. but when you're tasting it, it tastes like a peanut, but oh. not like a strong peanut. So I said, oh. I love stuff that's trippy like that. <laughs> so that one, I kind of add well, a little bit of molasses to it because it's kind of like a ginger snap without the ginger. Wow. So how long has it been that you've started Nut and Butter? When did that start? It's originally first started back in March of 2015. Right, right. And so, wow. So you had this idea for nuts and started it. And um, I mean, the idea of creating it was in 2014. Okay. I was stewing on it. And I was just like, that's the moment when I was realizing that this is what I want to do. What else do I want to do with my life besides this? Baking makes me happy. People who eat baked goods are happy. That's what I want in my life right now. And then the following year, it was just one of those, okay, I'm doing it now. <laughs> so, you know, some people have ideas and they have dreams, but sadly, most people, they don't do a whole lot with that. They think about it. Wouldn't it be fun if, but what led you to go from, hey, this would be a fun idea to I'm doing it? Because so many people don't do that. What led you to say, you know what? We're going all in. Let's do it. What led you to do I that? I feel like sometimes you just have to jump into the deep end of the pool and figure it out. And for me, I said, I cannot go another day without having ever tried doing it. I know it's always something I wanted to do. Can I really make a profession out of it? Do I really want to make a profession out of it? Do I? And I said, but I'm never going to be able to answer any of these questions until I actually do it. And so I said, I'm doing it. Even if I fail two weeks later, I could say, I, I did it and it just didn't work. I just couldn't live with myself because I'm a perfectionist too. So I said, <laughs> part of me is like, I critique myself and I said, you can't say you tried everything and did everything that you wanted to do in your life and you haven't even did the thing you're passionate about yet. And so that's what made me say, um, I need to do it. That's, I don't care what no one thinks. I don't care how much it's going to cost me. I'm doing it. <laughs> I mean, that's an amazing attitude that people could really learn from because so few people, they don't do what they're passionate about. I mean, were there any echoes of your grandfather or your mom? I mean, were any of them with sort of this go for it mentality, do what you love? Yeah, my mom, she actually owns her own business since the 90s where she makes uh, clothing accessories and Afrocentric, uh, multicultural uh-huh. jewelry accessories ponchos, purses, et cetera. And I remember she used to do a lot of vending for festivals, like jazz festivals and music festivals, food festivals, and being there as a child, helping her with the sales and interacting with the customers. It's like that, that was fun for me. And so growing up into that and then her having her own business and my grandpa, him being his chef and everyone all seemed to have that entrepreneurial vibing and even my great great grandmother used to have her big old giant cauldron that she used to sell of mustard greens and collard greens on the side of the road when she first got freed wow and that's how she made her money and it's just like that comes in the family so being able to just jump out and just start something some of the family members are like i don't know and then there's <laughs> other ones in the family are like let's do it <laughs> so Absolutely. <laughs> So, I mean, that's an amazing business and we want to get to the crucible of some of the challenges. And obviously as a cookie fan, I love all the ones varieties. I mean, I'm just looking at an article, you know, almond, walnut, pecan, pistachio, hazelnut, Brazil nut, pine nut. I mean, sesame seeds. I mean, wow. So that's amazing. So you live in uh, Berkeley, California, is it? 
And so from what I understand, you have asthma. And so you're in this apartment building and there are some people that are smoking. And you said to the landlord, hey, we're not meant to smoke in this place. Can we just not do the smoking? Because it's... But somehow that seemed like a very reasonable request. But somehow that yes. kind of didn't seem to turn out so well. So tell folks what happened when you told the landlord, I, I this whole smoking thing is not helping me. And before you tell this story, Whitney, I want to just reveal one detail about your life that you told me when we talked earlier, because it helps inform the real emotional and physical toughness you demonstrated through this process. You told me, I want to make sure I get it right. I played hockey back in the day. That's what you told me. So, so it's a, that's an important that's an important that's an important context for listeners truly to hear as you tell the story of how you responded to the things that happened just from that smoking going on in your building when smoking wasn't supposed to go on and the way that your neighbors treated it. You had a had a mental and emotional and physical toughness that allowed you to, to get through what you're about to tell us. Well, I could definitely say, yeah, the hockey, I was a tomboy. So hockey, <laughs> football, I was I was in there. We was boxing. <laughs> I, I played dolls too. <laughs> but I was really rough as a child. My sons were nowhere as rough as I was. <laughs> but so moving into this property, it was one of those things where as a person who has asthma, I wanted to be in a smoke-free environment. Someone who has two young children, there are a greater risk of developing it by being exposed to things. I wanted to reduce their risk. And so the place that I was living in only had one, two people sometimes smoking, which was too much for me because they would do it right by my window. And so when I moved into this new place, I was assured that there was no smoking. They had signs that said no smoking. I went by a couple of random times and I didn't smell any smoke. I didn't see any evidence smoke. So I'm like, yes, this is a good fit. I get there. And as soon as the lease is signed, the whole dynamic of the building switched. It was like the people, there was no people hanging out. Now there's people hanging out. There was no smoking. Now there's smoking every day. What is this? I felt bamboozled. Like there was a whole con. <laughs> and when I get there, I'm like, okay, well, we have a front part of the property and a driveway. Sometimes they have barbecues and get togethers in the driveway. They call it their backyard. I had a backyard. That's not a backyard. That's a driveway. <laughs> right. So when I asked for my simple request, I asked the one who was smoking by my window, do you mind smoking in the back? Since they smoked there anyways, I didn't think it would be inconveniencing them. And I told them because the smoke is coming into my window and it's bothering me and my children. Do you mind doing that? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. No worries. And then as I walked away, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, we do what we want to do. <laughs> right. I'm like, oh, so that's how it's going to be in this building. Okay. So I went, let me go ahead, give the landlord the benefit of the doubt, let them know that you have a tenant that's smoking by my window. I asked them, could they move? Maybe you can ask them to not stand by my window because smoke travels up and I'm upstairs. Simple. And they never got in trouble. They never got any fines, even though the city of Berkeley prohibits smoking in common areas and inside residential property. So it's against the law to do it. However, they continue to do it and the landlord never did anything about it. So on my mind is, I still to this day don't understand the point in wanting to attack me because I complained about their smoking when they never got any trouble. It's not like it was a retaliation because they lost their job or their housing or they got a fine. It was just because I was there and they thought they can do it. 
And, it was just that simple. And when they attacked you, I mean, they didn't just attack you a little bit. I mean, they really no, they were really uh, trying to kill you, me that night. Hurt you <laughs> severely. I mean, what yeah. was the effects of what they did to you? Yeah, it's just one of those moments where you're going to go check your mail, and people are like, "Well, why were you checking your mail that night?" Blaming the victim. I'm like, "Well, during the day, they smoke and drink all day." So right. I don't want to go and be involved and associate with people who I know are against me because I tattletale on them all the time about their smoking. Even though they don't get yeah. in trouble, I just complain. So I said, I will wait till they are done doing what they're doing to go check my mail. So I don't have yeah. to walk through smoke and step over people and it might bump into someone and cause problems. And so that night when I went to check my mail, thought the coast was cleared. I didn't smell any smoke. Mm -hmm. I didn't hear anyone. And to have a person that in passing will say hello to you and you will say hello back to them for that person to come over to the property, see you there and come back. They had left. They came back to the property. And these are people who I then wasn't complaining about their smoke. There were neighbors next door that were friends with the one I complained about. Oh my so the one that I complained about didn't even do it. He just was complaining to them that I complained about him. And so they said, we're going to get her because she's a snitch. I'm like, that's not snitching. I've seen movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's not snitching. <laughs> and so that one of the, a guy, he came over and he was talking to me and I was talking to him, being polite. And one of my other neighbors brought up my cookies. It was the whole thing was a setup. Yeah. And so she's talking to me about my cookies and I'm having conversation about, oh yeah, I just yeah. finished making the pecan, la, 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 la. And when we're having this conversation is when the guy grabs my hair and he pulls me, holding me back in place. And the other girl comes over and she starts punching on me and I break free. And I'm like, look, I'm like, don't tough. I'm like, that hurt. But I'm like, what, really? Who does this? What kind of man does that? And while he was holding me in place, I was able to break free. But then I tripped over the lip in the door. My house shoe fell off and I hit the ground. And as soon as I hit the ground, they all just kind of flooded in there. So it was like these two girls and the guy all flooded in there real quick. And I'm blocking my face because I'm too pretty to get hit in the face. <laughs> and <laughs> this is me dodging all of this. And I'm like, I don't understand why short people feel the need that they can take people who have long arms and legs because I'm tall. Right. And so it's like they weren't doing too much damage because every time they would come in to swing at me, I would swing back at them and my arms were longer than theirs. So it's like, ugh, I'm doing crab walk. Ugh, <laughs> kick to the face. <laughs> but in that moment when I'm thinking, here comes a guy that always likes to say hello to me, he's walking into the building and I'm thinking, here, he's coming to break up this fight and I can get up off the ground, but instead, I see him brace himself onto the walls and hold balance himself on one foot and stomps me in the face. Mm. And when he stomped me straight in the face, my head hits the ground. And then that's when they were able to get me. And I was like, oh, so now I'm just getting hit and kicked and stomped. And then he, I'm like, oh, I'm still trying to move, still clenching back, fractured my knuckle. <laughs> it was just oh. one of those moments where it was just so much. And it took, I was like, mom, and, and they attacked her. And it had pushed her all up against and she ended up bruising up her back. It was just a whole crazy thing. My children came outside the uh, apartment. They're upstairs uh, calling for their mom and to hear them. And then the neighbor, only decent one in the building, comes out of his house like, what's going on? And he pushes everybody off of me. And me being how I am, I said, they can't see that they hurt me. I was hurt. I was really hurt. Well, I stood up like a zombie, no emotion. <laughs> 
just no no tears. I just stood up like that didn't even oh. hurt. It was hurting. Yeah, and because was it was, to, wasn't like concussion. I mean, it was kind of pretty yes, severe things. It was. I didn't want them to feel that they defeated me, even though. I mean, it's so sad because you weren't doing anything to them. You just have asthma and didn't want smoking. I mean, it's just sad how, you know, humanity can be. So um, It is. And it's important to note here, let me say this. You had already started Nut and Butter Cookies. You were doing it out of your house. You had a a license right. to do that. So you had started the business. You were in March. <laughs> right. What you were talking about earlier, this desire, this, this is your passion. I don't want to just pay the bills. I want to do what's my passion. You finally get to be doing that. You finally are doing that. You've got it all set up. You're selling cookies out of your home. And then this attack comes and that derail, you know, in addition to the, the terrible physical toil it takes on you, it also, this upends your business opportunity at that moment, correct? It literally did. It's like March all the way to April going to October is when the incident took place. So it wasn't that long in between from starting it in March to having before I can even get it going, right. stopped. It was just a sudden stop. And it was just one of those moments where I felt like, can I ever get a break? Mm. When do I get a chance to have a break? This was supposed to be my moment. This was me. I'm that's ten to myself. I like to be by do that. And so it was just one of those moments where it's like I have a concussion now. My right hand is fractured. I can't even do anything that I want to do. And I'm sitting here like, what is the next stage for me? And my next stage was looking at my children and they're looking at me like, Mommy, you're gonna be okay. And to see their faces because at the time they were like two and three. And so it was just one of those things where they would look at me like, mommy, don't give up. That's mm. how they looked at me. Because mm. I guess it can just feel my energy because I felt like I was defeated. And I felt like, what was the purpose of even doing this? I, all my savings that I had from my house cleaning, I had used that to get the main stuff I needed, like ingredients and stuff to get the ball going and to pay for all my licensing just for it to be like, ha, you're not doing none of that and so that didn't let me down because i'm too persistently stubborn <laughs> it's just one of those moments that felt like yeah it kind of set me back but i was able to during my recuperation figure out the next strategy on how to get to the next stage of where i want to be and i said working out of the house in this particular environment wasn't working that well anyway so i started doing finding out about other events and other shows that I can go and participate in so I wouldn't have to be there. But right after the incident, a program called the Victims Compensation Program that California offers for victims were able to, them and the police department, because they did a wonderful job. The police did so wonderful. Uh, they did everything by the book. They went a little above and beyond. One of the officers even took me to the pharmacy after I did my interview mm. about the incident and he took all my pictures and stuff. And when I went to go pick up my prescription, he took me to Walgreens to go pick up my medicine and he drove me home. And I thought it was funny that this officer, while he was bringing me home, he's the one who I used to complain about his friends, the ones who, who attacked me, he was peeking through his downstairs window when the officer was bringing me home and the officer saw him and he goes, I think I'll check your mail for you right now too. 
He goes, I don't think anyone's going to mess with me while I check your mail. <laughs> and wow. he goes, so you can check it in the daytime. So I hand this officer my key and he checks the mail for me. And he was like, if there's anything else you need from us, just let us know. Here's my card. He had me his card. And they were standing around like, oh, nervous and stuff. But it was just the Berkeley police, they really did go a little extra for making sure that this was taken care of. And they did everything by the book. It was the DA who threw me under the bus. And it's just one of those moments where it's just like, how can you think a person who commits a crime in our society, they have some type of punishment, but that's not the case if you're brown on brown. And when you have a district attorney that tells you, we're gonna do everything we can, we're charging this person with a felony, assault and battery, and once we catch the other ones, because they're hiding, they're at large, when we catch them, we're gonna charge them too. And I'm like, yes, I'm suffering from a concussion. I'm like, yes, justice. This is how it's supposed to go. This is how it should be going. Yeah. That was I agreed to that. They're like, well, he's willing to take a plea, so would you be willing to do that? And and he's gonna get five years. I'm just like, five years, I almost die. I consider that attempted murder, but if you guys wanna call it battery and assault, okay. Five years is better than nothing. So I agreed to that. Just to find out that that person wasn't doing any jail time. He got probation. Five years felony probation. What is the point of that? And then to give me a stay away order to tell me this person is not supposed to come around you anymore for X amount of yards. And you're like, okay, but then he's in front of my house and you say, this person's violating that order. Isn't that committing another crime? Why should this person who almost killed me be allowed to be free and if he does another crime then he goes to jail it's That's backwards it's hard to understand yeah it's just kind of crazy but what's amazing to me is life isn't fair doesn't seem objectively nope. you know the lack of punishment for what was very serious assault battery attempted murder but yeah you know it doesn't seem like you let that get you down doesn't mean you're probably angry no. probably doesn't mean it's not fair but you don't you me Right. Mm. It fueled you. Yeah, because some it people... Did. It made me so angry that these people thought that they can do it and get away with it. And then the court system was basically saying that you're getting away with it. I said, they might have gotten away with doing that, but they're not going to stop me from starting this company that I've been wanting to do for years. Well, that I, I mean, have control over that. And that's mm. amazing. And amidst all that, it's always nice when you have a good Samaritan, in this case, the local policeman that kind of helps out. So it's the world is full of people unfortunately that do a lot of bad things but there's some good people there's some good samaritans there and, are and you know you yeah. saw them which was good so so you started this I understand that at some point you moved into a storefront and expanded yes. it and that was a few months before covid hit right yes. which you know it's kind of crazy because <laughs> that was another crucible if you will like you started it so this is great and then covid hits and that made life tough to do it out of a storefront who's going to stores in, in the height of covid was well, especially in berkeley they've said in alameda county they said all restaurants bakeries closed you're non-essential but the corner store is essential and the beauty salon is essential but the bakery's not okay <laughs> But I don't get yeah. people. Let's make my hair pretty, but I don't want to eat. 
(laughs) So a lot of us restaurants and bakeries and food establishments in the Bay Area, we all, bars, we were all at a halt. They said, doors are closed until further notice. And they literally shut us down. And they saw people, they were like coming in, just shut it down, shut it down. Because clearly having your restaurant open during COVID hours is one of those things where you will get infected. So we close early. I don't get it. COVID's still there after two. Just, <laughs> it's still there. But I remember when March had hit, it was right at that moment when they were supposed to start shutting things down. It was just, everything was like a wave. It was just a nonstop wave that kept coming and coming. Because it was first, it was like, okay, we're hearing rumors of these things in the February about it could possibly affect us. And we're, I'm keeping the track of it because I watch bio movies. So I'm like, oh, this is going to get worse before it gets better. Mm-hmm. I'm like, we should start preparing. And my preparation wasn't for the fact of ingredients. And so I'm going like, to my priority was making sure that my children had canned goods and foods and just in case the power goes out or just don't yeah. want people get sick and the plant's not working. We need yeah. to be prepared. Yeah. And soon as I gave my landlord the rent, I get this phone call from my landlord nagging me about, I haven't received the rent. This is March. Mm-hmm. There's so many people right now that has no job right now. Right. Just, everything's right. shut down. And I mailed you the rent. So I, I could have kept that whole thing for myself and used it for whatever. But I was being honest and I said, I know. I owe you. I'm going to give it to you. And I even told him it was going to be a bit late. It was too late. When he got it, he was all like, I cannot control the mail. I just can't. If the mail system is having a delay, that's not my problem. But he nagged me, nagged me, nagged me about, I'm going to have to kick you out. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I can't be your man. I'm already closed. <laughs> right. What are you kicking me out for? And then when he finally did get the rent, he, he sends me a, oh, I got your rent. I'm waiting for an apology. Didn't get it. I'm not, uh, crazy. But From what I understand, just, eventually you ended up having to move out with COVID. Right. And I believe just, you had a lease and you had to keep paying him even though you weren't even there. I know. And then he reaches out to me and says, with all of the COVID going on, is there anything, anything that we can help you with during this time of crisis and hardship? (laughs) And I said, I'm thinking to myself, is this a joke? This is the same person who was just threatening to make me not too long ago. But I went on with it and I said, because I like to try and find good in everybody because everybody has it. Yeah. Some people don't have a lot of it, <laughs> but everybody has a little bit in them. Right. So I said, you know what? Maybe during this time of crisis, maybe he has a reality check on how he needs to approach people. So I said, well, the only thing that you can really help me with is maybe I can end my lease now because my lease had ended in August and it was March. And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, maybe we can just end it now. He goes, no, 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 you're under contract. You still have to pay your rent. I'm like, but... You just asked me, what could you do to help me? And that would help me a lot. Because <laughs> oh, if you can't help me with that, what else would you help see, me with? So that's another crucible. That you, <laughs> you have to pay this rent to a place you're not even there anymore because of COVID because you can't. But even in that circumstance, you didn't let it get you down because then you no. began, I think, selling cookies back in your uh, apartment and driveway and people picking up so... Talk about how you didn't let that get you down, that you found a way through. So what did you do then when you had to go back to your home? I can definitely say when I came back to being home, I didn't wasn't selling in March, wasn't selling in April, but toward the 
in part beginning of May, I'm sitting here like, if I wanted to sell it in my driveway, I couldn't right now because all the stores were so shut down and they had limits where you can only buy like one thing of eggs. Mm-hmm. I'm like, really? Yeah. I can't work a business with one thing of eggs. I'm a it's baker. A I need more than that. <laughs> yeah. exactly. exactly. I said, I need at least 10 boxes of butter. No, ma'am, you're hoarding butter. I'm like, I have for my business. I think you're making an exception. You have to talk to the manager. No, uh, we have one transaction at a time. I guess around those things. So you just go back multiple times. <laughs> but, but I remember at this moment where I was really feeling like defeated again. It's like, I can't even sell them my driveway because I don't even have the ingredients to even make cookies. And a couple of my neighbors who reached out to me were like, uh, we heard that you lost your shop and all this Kobe. We're just checking to make sure you were doing all right. And if there's anything we can do to help you. And I was like, well, right now it's just, I don't even know how I'm going to get by because I can't even make my own money right now because there's no ingredients for me. And I didn't ask anyone because I'm just used to not asking people because I always hear excuses. And so I, I was just venting it. And then one neighbor took it upon herself to, spread the word to everybody that if they have any extra right now to gather it all up and they came to my house and they had bags of flour they mm. had some eggs and it was like they're like here's, here's some sugar here's something we all collected different sticks of butter here so you can still be able to get by and that was so moments where i was like wow i didn't realize that I lived in a community where people did those things. My mom had even reached out to a couple of her friends, and he goes, yeah, when I go to the store, while I'm there, I'm going to see if they have any of those ingredients. So people, when they were at these different stores, they will be able to get these different ingredients for me. And they were, like, donating me flour, and they were donating me vanilla so I could still be able to make cookies. And so I got the ingredients, so I sat back up in the driveway. I said, look, I ain't got no excuses no more. I, I can make these products people want my cookies, I can still make them. So I, I'm still here. <laughs> I mean, that's a miracle. I mean, they're in so much turmoil and, you know, people doing, I don't know, reprehensible things in the world you see on the news. and But yet, right. you know, it's almost like you're in the desert and you see an oasis or from a faith perspective, maybe a drop of grace. And it's like, wow, maybe there's a few little good folks and drops of grace there and when people do that, it's like, it's unbelievable. It's not something you ever could have imagined that no. neighbors are donating things. And by doing that, they enabled you to feed your family and your boys. You exactly. Now, and being in the driveway was the money that was making to pay for my shop. Because mm-hmm. once they finally started opening things back up, they still had restrictions where they said only curbside, outside business. So you right. still couldn't have stuff indoors. So I'm like, it doesn't make sense for me to make the cookies at home, then take the cookies to my shop to sell on the sidewalk. Right. When I could just sell at home, like I already was doing. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm it, the original curbside cookies. Yeah. <laughs> and so, from what I understand, you had lots of local folks. I mean, police, firemen. Talk about how some of the local f- officials in Berkeley somehow word is spread about your yeah, amazing you cookies. Know, someone called and complained about me. Is what started it. And I find that even in that moment of negative, it turned into a positive thing because someone complained that I was selling cookies in my driveway and I had to be illegal. Who does that? (laughs) Who calls the police on someone selling cookies? Someone did. (laughs) But officer 
pulled over real quick with his hands. He popped out of his car and he had his hands on his holster like he was reaching for his gun or something. He's just walking <laughs> over like a cowboy. Yeah. And he walks over like, what's going on here? I got so much sinus that says I'm selling cookies. I don't know why you asked me that question. <laughs> but he goes, what's going on here? And I said, oh, just selling cookies, raising money to this officer. And he goes, what kind of cookies? And I told him, they're regular nuts for the cookie, la, la, la. And he's like, oh, I never heard of a cookie like that. I said, because I made it up, just my recipe, la, 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 la. And I'm telling him all these things. And he goes, well... He goes, and what about this one? And he pointed to the pistachio. It does have a slightly green hint to it. I did not have edibles. <laughs> and he goes, well, what about this one? I said, that's pistachio. And I said, you can have that one if you like, pistachios. And he goes, well, I do like pistachios. He goes, and it's just a regular cookie. Said, They're all just regular cookies. And he asked me, he goes, well, do you, do you have permission to be here? Yeah. And I said, this is my driveway. So, yes. <laughs> and he, I said, I'm not quite sure what you're asking me, because I was honest, that's a trick question. He goes, but do you have a license or anything? I said, actually, I do. So I, I'm like, how many people trying to sell something in the driveway have to actually pull out their credentials to the police officer because someone um, called on them? Unbelievable. It's, and so I was sit there. I'm like, yeah, I showed him my health permit, showed him my business license, and I showed him everything I had. And he looked and he was satisfied with that information. And he left and he's sitting in the car. And after he eats this cookie. He comes back over. I'm like, oh, now what? What what now? Just leave me alone. I'm not doing anything. (laughs) But selling cookies. I know it's almost nighttime, but come on. And so he comes over, and it wasn't a negative thing. He comes over to shake my hand. He goes, that was a really good cookie. He goes, (laughs) you got a customer for life. He goes, I'm going to tell everyone I know that you got the best cookies in Berkeley. And I went, Oh, well, thank you, officer. Thank you. Appreciate it. And that particular night, while he's sitting over there in his vehicle, finishing the rest of his cookie, a guy that up to no good, I saw him, I had my bat underneath the table. And this guy comes walking over, like he's finished to do something he's not supposed to be doing. But ever since my incident, I'm alert to everything. (laughs) And he was being weird. He was acting like he was chasing me out pretty much yeah. he was observing what was going on i'm like what kind of person sees the little girl selling the cookies and you want to rob her really do people would like that yeah. and so i really feel that he was up to something because when he comes and he walks past me and he walks past me again and i don't have my bat i'm ready if he tries it he's not gonna get my money easily he gonna we're both gonna be hurt tonight not tonight <laughs> and I remember that when he got ready to walk past, he was so focused on me, he didn't even see the cop car. And so the cop goes, whoop, 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 with his license siren, and the guy takes off running. (laughs) And I never saw him ever again, but the cop comes and he goes, are you all right? Oh, yeah, I'm good. And ever since that moment, the cops had relayed to other officers. So when they're in route under different beats, they will pass by when they see me at night, just thumbs up, checking to see how I'm doing. I like to have free security. I'm like, oh, this is nice. I got police security. Hi, free security. And they'll buy cookies. And I remember this one night when a fire truck had pulled over. I'm thinking to myself, oh, what's going on now? It's always something. Can I just get a break? <laughs> and I'm sitting here. And just one fireman gets out of the truck and he comes over and he says, a cop told me that you got the best cookies in town. <laughs> and I was just like, I said, okay. And he's talking to me about the cookies. And I told him about all the different cookies I had. And the other fire officer, a fire, 
I think you'll call them fire. We don't call them fire workers because there's still there's fire women. Yeah, true. <laughs> fire exactly. person. The other yeah, fire exactly. person. There you go. Fire person. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, we're gonna roll with that one. <laughs> but I remember he came over and he he was the guinea pig because he's the one that was the pickiest out of all of them. So he tries. <laughs> and at that time before COVID, I used yeah. to offer samples. Yeah. And so I would I gave him a sample of a cookie. And he waves his hands up with a thumb, and then the rest of the fire people, <laughs> yeah. persons, come out of their truck and they walk over to the booth. And I'm standing there like, what? This is one of those moments like, really a fire truck pulled up in front to get cookies from me because a police officer told him that they were good. It's amazing. <laughs> so all these crucibles, and we there's one we haven't really even touched on, the whole uh, flu shot episode where for most people, the flu shot isn't a big deal. And some doctor said she get a flu shot you didn't want to, and it ends up, what, paralyzing your left side, hand. How many months did it take to get through the whole flu shot? Terrible yeah, episode. Yeah, I ended up with a, a severe case of bursitis in my left shoulder. And the problem that happened is the nurse injected the flu vaccine into my bursa sac which is way too far up in your arm to be getting the shot to begin with. But when they stuck it in there, the fluids in my bursa sac were gone and the flu vaccine caused an infection. And it slightly tore a little bit of my rotator cuff while the needle went in. So it was just all wrong to begin with. I would have been better off being sick. And how long did it take you to recover from from all that? January to May for me to be able to use my arm again after physical therapy. And if, it's if, like, who has physical therapy after getting a flu shot? And for you to provide mm-hmm. for your kids, <laughs> you have to bake. You know, yes, so it's, it's like, like you can't not not <laughs> bake. So here you've had everything from a flu shot to be beaten up by neighbors. You know, I mean, all of the things that you've been through, having to pay rent for a place you don't even use, COVID, and yet none of that gets you down. I think... One of the things I think you said about your vision, I read somewhere, you see your business as a gas station in the desert. Talk about what does that mean to your vision? Because it sounds like nothing gets you down despite being knocked down. You get back up and, you know, it's like you just don't let it get you down. Talk about that vision of the gas station in the desert. The vision of that is everyone's seen that one gas station is the tumbleweeds and snakes. There's just nothing but deadness. You have that one spot right there just driving and it's still hanging in there in spite of it looking like crickets around. There's nothing going on, but they're still there and they're still standing and you have no choice but to go to this place because there's only one. And when I wanted to, when I started my company, I wanted to have that. You can't go to, I made it so complicated for myself for it because I made all my recipes. So anybody who wanted to try and copy and have a spin off of the cookies, I said, I'm going to cover all the nuts. So can't no one say, well, we have almond and she does it. No, I got all the nuts. <laughs> and so I said, every nut, I got nuts you never heard of. <laughs> and so I wanted to do that. So to make it so complicated so anyone because people copy all the time that's just our nature we see someone doing it we want to try and join into it for me i like to one-up myself so when i do something i go i can make it better and then i'll go yeah let's make that better and i'm talking to myself like let's do that so as we kind of think of summing up here and all there's a lot of people right now going through tough times whether it's covid or just frankly the division within our country within our world it's just seems like things are as bad as they've ever been 
in yes. so many ways. And um, it's just so, so sad. But I think there's a lot of people who've been through tough times, different crucibles. What's your message of hope to people that feel like, gosh, I don't know that I can get myself back up again. This is just too much. What's your message of hope to a lot of folks who are frankly hurting right now? Well, help comes in the most unexpected places when you least expect it. At that moment when you feel that you really can't go on, there is always going to be that one person that you wouldn't expect to do it will reach out and help you. And I find that you can't really fail if you don't keep trying. Because once you give up, you failed. You're done. That's over. But if you're as long as you're like, I can still make it. You can still get that little bit in there. You can still push through just enough. It's hard. It hurts. But once you get past that moment, you can sit back and go, I made it. I overcome that. I'm no longer feeling that pain anymore. I'm finally where I need to be. You can get yourself out of it. We've got to pull ourselves out of the mud sometimes and dust off the mud walk through was drying on and cracked up in her pants and flake it off and get going. It's just sometimes you just have to do it. And sometimes you have to bake the mud into the cookies going back to the very first story that you told, right? Exactly. Uh, my first cookie was a mud pie. I think, yeah, maybe you should resurrect that. None of, none of my grandfather, yeah. he's kind of, <laughs> one, of the, yeah. one of the first cookies I made. <laughs> I know, huh? <laughs> this would be the time in most podcasts that I say, uh, I, you know, the captain turned on the fasten seatbelt signs and it's time to land the plane. But I'm going to say this time, I think I heard the oven ding. It's time to remove the cookies. So we're getting to the point where we've got to let the cookies cookies cool a little bit. But before we go, Whitney, I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't do a couple things. One, in a minute here, I'm going to give you a chance to let people know where they can find nut and butter cookies online and connect with you. But after you do that, after you let people know how they can get a hold of you, one of the things, again, going back to what I said at the top of the show, this questionnaire that you filled out, one of the questions we ask people all the time is if there's only one question we could ask, what would it be? And you've talked a lot about not giving up, but the question you said we should ask you is, what was the reason you didn't give up? So tell people how they can find you on the internet, get a chance to taste your cookies perhaps, and then leave listeners with what was it that led to Whitney Singletary White not giving up through all of these crucibles that you've discussed? Well, you can find my cookies at my website, uh nuttandbuttercookies.com which is a n-u-t-t-i-n-b-u-t-t-e-r-c-o-o-k-i-e-s dot com and has all of my social medias and everything and all the ordering and they ship well out of the United States <laughs> alright And but for me that to answer your question my sons mm. I remember after my flu shot I was laying there kind of crying to myself and he came to me and the message that I've been teaching them their whole lives is we're not quitters. We you have to try. You can't say I don't want to do something. Try it. Try this food. Try this thing. And when he came to me and he hugged me and said, Mommy, and I said, What? And I, he was all like, Why are you not making cookies anymore? And I told him and his reason for what he said to me was, You can't give up, mommy. We're not quitters. Mm. And the look on his face was so step on like he was a coach he's like get up you can do it 
go. And he said this to me, and then his brother was like, yeah, mommy, you have to do it. You love cookies. <laughs> and they were there still my reason for why I pushed through. On, on, it doesn't matter if I'm in pain, doesn't matter if I'm tired, doesn't matter if I'm hungry. I'll, I'll hold my, my bladder so I can finish doing what I need to do because they got me so focused where it's like at the end go, I want them to be able to not have to go through so much that I go through. I'll go through it all so they don't have to. And you mentioned when I first reached out to you to be on the show that, that this is the first podcast you've ever been on. Right. So based on that answer about your sons, and hopefully they'll listen to this episode when it comes out. Give your sons a shout out. Call them by name. Let them hear themselves on the podcast, on the radio, if you will. Yeah. Well, shout out to my oldest, Wesley, and my youngest, Wyatt. Whew. Keep doing your work. I know you're downstairs <laughs> playing games. Thinking you're, I don't know. I know everything. <laughs> Moms do. That's very true. Now, Warwick, before I wrap up, one of the things that you say all the time on the show and then just in conversations we have at Crucible Leadership is that your life of significance can be big. You can lead an international corporation or your life of significance can be small. And by small, I don't mean impact and you don't mean impact, but it can be a you know, more limited scope. And what Whitney's described right here is her life of significance, her community, and her boys. Talk about why that is such a critical expression of a life of significance. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to say, well, who am I? I'm not leading some big corporation or nonprofit. I'm not, you know, trying to make the, you know, clean water in Africa or, you know, solve all of the huge problems we have in this world. But to me, you know, you. You make a difference in one life, it's big. I mean, your, your mom, your grandfather, they taught you certain values. They made a difference in your life. You're making a difference in your son's life. You're making a difference in your community with friends, neighbors, police, people in the fire department. You're having an impact everywhere. And one of the things we didn't get to, which I think is fascinating, is this legacy of baking. It goes back, I don't know, maybe 150 years or so, back to, I think it was your grandfather's great-grandmother, something like that. Right, yes. I mean, the recipe, maybe it wasn't the exact recipe, but that legacy of baking, and um, I'm sure there's probably a sense of trying to help friends and family. You know, th there's a legacy that goes back a long time, and, you know, you're just making a huge impact and a huge difference in people's lives and your family, and so um, I think your testimony is anybody can make a difference if they don't give up and they're passionate about what they do. And, you know, you're having a, probably, I'm sure, a bigger impact than you realize. So, I mean, you fill people with hope. I mean, you know, Whitney doesn't let stuff get her down. Maybe I shouldn't give up either, right? Just one That's more day, one more time. step, you know, it's all the takes. So, yeah, I think it's an inspiring story. I think it will give a lot of people hope. Absolutely. And as we wrap up, listener, I want to direct you back to the spirit that you heard from Whitney in this conversation. She describes some pretty difficult things that happened to her. Pretty physically devastating, emotionally devastating things that happened to her. Go back and listen to the way she talked about them. She laughed. She had a positive attitude. She had a facing forward attitude to those kind of things. And if you take nothing else away from this episode, 
that's one of the keys to bouncing back from your crucible is having a perspective like Whitney's perspective, which is tomorrow can be a better day and this isn't going to stop me. This isn't going to get me down. I'm going to end on one of the things that Whitney wrote again in her questionnaire, which is so profound in its simplicity, Whitney. But you said this when we said, what's one bit of advice you'd offer listeners? And this would be the key takeaway from this episode, listener, and that's this. These are Whitney Singletary's words. You can't fail if you keep trying. Find a reason to push through, no matter how small or big the reason, and let that fuel you. I've been in the communications business long enough to know when someone's wrapped, you know, put a bow on a package as as, uh, pretty as that, I'm going to shut up. Except to say this. Thank you, listener, for spending this time with us at Beyond the Crucible. Warwick and I have a little favor to ask of you. If you enjoy what you heard here today in our interview with Whitney, please hit subscribe on the app on which you're listening to this podcast. That way you'll be alerted to every new episode. You'll never miss one. You'll hear more great interviews like this, more conversations with Warwick as he talks about the principles that undergird and uphold crucible leadership. And until the next time we're together, remember this, which is so evident in this discussion we've had with Whitney, and that is your crucible experiences are painful and they're difficult and they're hard and they can come in rapid succession. It's not just, when we say crucible experiences, we mean that. Many times there are more than one. It's not experience, it's experiences. And Whitney has had many of them. But they were not the end of her story. They were the beginning. Each one was a beginning of a new chapter in her story that pushed her, that led her to walk down a road to a life that's brighter, that's better, that is on purpose, that is focused on helping others and building something bigger than herself. So your crucible listeners, your crucibles, They aren't the end of your story. They're the beginning of your story if you learn the lessons of them. And they can be the best chapter of your story. Because at the end of the day, where they lead is to a life of significance. 